The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I don't need to tell most of you that that's Psalm 23, the psalm we're going to look at and unpack this morning. Some of the most famous, most familiar words in all of history, because they're so comforting. They're so encouraging, they're they're so healing, speaking to the God-shaped vacuum resident in each and every human heart. But for many of us in the church, Psalm 23 can be somewhat of a dangerous psalm. Dangerous because it's so familiar, it's easy to take it for granted. And it's so simple, so straightforward, it's easy to miss its depth. Now the Old Testament often gets the unfair rap that it is the testament of law and judgment and war. But Psalm 23, frankly, right in the middle of the Old Testament should caution us. It's a love story. An incredible picture of God's incredible compassion and amazing grace that he has for his people. So God has given us this psalm. God has given us Psalm 23 to show us how much he cares for us. To show us how incredible his grace is. Another way to say it is the good news of Psalm 23 is that no one, no one, no one cares for you like God does. No one loves you like the God of the universe. Now in this psalm, David, King David, the author, uses two dominant metaphors. And the first and the most familiar is the metaphor of the shepherd. Close to 200 times in the Old Testament, God refers to God's people as sheep. Sheep. Now, God, I mean, think about this. God could have called us lions, tigers. He could have called us, what, bears, eagles, even hippos. I don't know. But the dominant animal metaphor referring to humans, referring to you and me in the Old Testament is sheep. Now, why? Because every sheep needs a shepherd. Let me say that again. Every sheep needs a shepherd. Because sheep are not just not that smart. Uh, Sheep are also dirty, dirty animals, uh, uh, defenseless animals. I was talking to a woman after the last service that had, um, for a period of time, raised some sheep. 
but in addition to being not that smart, in addition to being uh, dirty, in addition to being defenseless, sheep are uh, notoriously among the most dependent of all animals. All right. I want to say to you, this is crazy. This is crazy. Because here David, the great warrior king of Israel, says he's a sheep. We're a sheep. Now, I'm glad you guys are here today. I had forgotten about this, but I love football. My family loves football. We love college football. We love the NFL. I've got a son at Clemson. We're getting into Clemson uh, uh, football. Uh, but, uh, you know, when it comes to the NFL, uh, we got the Carolina Panthers, we got the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, we got the Detroit Lions, we got the St. Louis Rams, we got the Chicago Bears, but we do not have the San Antonio Sheep. Uh, I'm not aware of any professional sports team, college sports team named Sheep. They're defenseless. They're dependent. Yet here in Psalm 23, one of the greatest soldiers in all of Israel's history, one of the greatest leaders in all of history, a man's man, David the king, refers to himself as a sheep. Don't miss the point. Unless you and I live before God with David's humility, with David's dependence, we will never know David's God. There's incredible humility uh, inherent in this metaphor. Now what I want to do as we unpack it is I want to start with David's theology and then move to David's experience. And actually, we kind of go back and forth between the two. But let's look at verse 1 and let's begin with David's theology. Because here, in the first verse, he paints a picture, an amazing picture. All the incredible experience that David had with God, all the care, the comfort, the the protection he experienced, all his um, absence of fear that characterized his life that he will describe in the balance of this 23rd Psalm begins with this theology. Starts with it. I see three pieces here in verse 1. First notice David begins the Lord. Now if you look closely at your uh, translations, most of your translations will have Lord, L-O-R-D, in all capital letters. Not just the first letter, but all caps. And the reason for that is the translators are telling you something. The translators are signaling that this is the great, the most important name for God in the Old Testament. It's Yahweh. I am. The name God first used to describe himself way back in Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush when he's speaking to Moses, he said, I am that I am. I am who I am. And as a matter of fact, this name is so important, it's so significant in the Old Testament that Yahweh occurs 6,800 times from Genesis to Malachi. And when David starts Yahweh, Yahweh, what David is revealing is that he is a man captured by the majesty of God. 
Most of us are captured by what's going on around us. David was captured by the majesty of God. Some of us act like we believe in a small God. How are you doing? Well, not very well under the circumstances. Why in the world do you live under the circumstances? We tend to believe in a small God. David believed in, in a big God. But there's more here. There's a second piece. We move from Yahweh to shepherd. David describes God as a shepherd. Now, previously in the Psalms, God has been described as a king. God has been described as a deliverer. God has been described as a rock or a shield. But all of those designations that are that a metaphor is getting at describing God are more formal, more distant, and more impersonal. Here, for the first time in the Psalms, David uses the much more personal term, image, figure, shepherd. And everything he's going to say in this psalm flows from that. Because a shepherd lives with his sheep. 24-7, a shepherd attends his sheep, speaks to his sheep, tenderly cares for his sheep, gathers his sheep in, keeps watch. In other words, David is asserting not just his total dependence on God, David is not just asserting merely his trust, his confidence in God, he's asserting his intimacy with God. His relationship with God was a highly personal thing because God to him was a shepherd. Now look at these words that describe God as a shepherd from Isaiah chapter 40. Let's put these up. In the preceding verse, we know that the subject of he is God. God tends his flock like a shepherd. Okay, what's that like? Well, for God, that means he gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart, and he gently, gently leads those that have young. This is a description of God as a shepherd. So to call God as a to call God shepherd is to paint an amazing picture of God's gentleness, God's tenderness, God's love, God's mercy, God's compassion. So here in Psalms 23, when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, David is saying that means he carries me close to his heart. I mean, do you have that image of God in your life, that God is carrying you close to your heart? Or his heart, I should say? That he gently is leading you? That he's going to get you to where he wants you to go? Isaiah 40 in verse 11 unpacks what David says here in verse 1 when he uses the metaphor shepherd. Now, everybody, everybody that's ever breathed has a shepherd. Now, for some people today, money is their shepherd. Uh, Money is their master. Uh, For other people, it's success or Uh, their giftedness or their appearance or uh, work or maybe it's their family, maybe it's alcohol. Everyone bows the knee to something or someone. David says his shepherd is God. And ultimately, this Psalm 23 points to Jesus because when we come to the New Testament, the pages of the New Testament, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Look at these verses from John chapter 10. 
I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my sheep, my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life. I'm going to go to the cross and be crushed for my sheep. Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. Now this is when it gets interesting. Let's go on to the third piece of David's theology here in verse 1. The little two-word personal pronoun, my, is fascinating. Because David doesn't just say God is a shepherd or God is the shepherd as if uh, he's speaking abstractly. David says he is my shepherd, speaking highly personally. Now, if you turn the page and you look at the first verse in Psalm 27, David is at it again. He says, God is my light, God is my salvation. Lon preached that passage two weeks ago. So David starts with theology in verse 1. Yahweh, shepherd. The majesty of God, the tender love and compassion of God. But it is a highly personal theology. Theology isn't helpful at a distance. It isn't helpful merely in the abstract. How many angels can you fit on the head of a needle? The top of a pen, the top of a pencil. Not helpful. Interesting, not helpful. The two-letter word my here makes all the difference in the world. And so therefore, this verse one combination of the majesty of God, Yahweh, the tender compassion of God, in the metaphor shepherd means David is saying there has been unleashed on me this incredible experience of the living God. And this is who I am. This is my identity. This is my significance. In other words, what David is saying is I may be king and I may have a lot going for me, but I am not a function of my achievements, nor am I a function of my failures. I am just a sheep who has experienced such grace that my life has been transformed. I am loved, I am cared for beyond imagination. And so this is what made David whole. This is what David made, made David intact and secure as a man. The Lord is my shepherd. David is saying, man, I hope we get this. David is saying, I don't need everybody to like me. I'd like everybody to like me, but I don't need everybody to like me. I don't need fame. I don't need wealth. I don't need success. I don't need perfect children to be significant or secure. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Now, David is not saying he doesn't have needs. David is saying he's content. He is content in the living God. And our problem is we have this insane tendency to put a weight on a boyfriend, let's say, or a girlfriend, or, or marriage, or getting the right job, or, or getting a particular set of circumstances worked out. We put such a weight on those kind of things that they just can't bear it. And subconsciously, what we're doing is we're anointing them as our shepherd. And we don't say that. And so every now and then you'll hear somebody say, all I ever wanted 
was a husband or a wife to be happy. All I ever wanted was for this job. And, 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 and you think, man, who do you think you're marrying? Uh, the fourth person of the Trinity? It's just not going to work quite like that. You see, one of the fundamental problems we have is this divine my, verse 1, this two-letter word, doesn't reside in our hearts like it should. This two-letter word is the ultimate answer to all our insecurities, all our fear, all our identity struggles, and it's the antidote to our idolatry. Because it completely changes our identity forever. The Lord is my shepherd. Boy, do I wish Robin Williams knew that. Boy, do I wish he knew that. All right, that's verse 1. Let's move on and let's move into verse 2. And let's move to a little more of an emphasis on David's experience. And I want you to see the very first thing David says in verse 2. Now, again, he's speaking from his experience is that he has learned that my God always provides. His God always provides. God always provides. And specifically, as he tells us in verse 2, what does he provide? He provides food, water, and rest. Now, in my study this week, one of the interesting things I learned about this is that after sheep graze in the morning, they, they rest at midday for a couple hours. I didn't know that, and then I actually found a verse that tells us that. So look at, this is Song of Solomon, chapter 1 and, and verse 7. Uh, tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep. Now notice, your sheep at midday. Sheep have to be made to rest because if they're driven too hard, they will die. Actually, we see this a little later in the book of uh, Genesis. Now the same is true with us. When my girls were little, my youngest girl was allergic to sleep, allergic to naps. <laughs> Hated them. Her older sisters, two older sisters, would be conked out. And Alyssa would be standing in her crib at 10 o'clock at night as a two-year-old. Are you going to go in and check on her? No, I'm, not. I'm too tired. Are you going to go in and No, I'm too tired. You know, we'll just let her. And so what would happen is invariably we would get up and we would put our hand on her little back and make her lie down in her crib. Make her lie down. That's verse 2. It's the same thing God does with us. We get so busy, we get so overcommitted that God will use different circumstances, uh, sometimes setbacks, a, a health issue or a, a job issue, uh, in order to make us rest. He's putting his hand on our back. It's why he's given us Sundays. Now, you may have heard people say, it's fairly common, it's God's will for you to be prosperous and healthy. And I want to say to you, that's just simply not true. 
because God is much more concerned with your spiritual health than your physical or your financial health. And at times, he's going to use physical issues, he's going to use financial issues in our lives uh, to make us lie down, to make us slow down, to make us look up, uh, to make us, in Dave's la- David's language, rest. And you say, yeah, but uh, it's green pastures here in verse 2. Well, don't misunderstand. In the economy of God, there are a variety of shades of green. A variety of types of quiet as in waters. And it may not look very green to you at a particular moment in time. Or it may not feel very quiet, but God is working. Maybe God has diagnosed a... a, a tumor of arrogance in your life, or maybe it's a tumor of greed, or maybe it's a, a, a tumor of self-centeredness, idolatry gone wild. And God is choosing to operate because he's in the process. He loves you too much. He's in the process of removing it. Now notice the verbs here. He makes, he leads. You may not like it. You may not like the operation. Uh, you, but God is at work. You see, rest is ultimately not a state of inactivity. It's a disposition of rock-solid confidence in the living God. This knowledge that grace has tethered me to the God of the universe. And I am his and he is mine. David, if he knew anything, he knew that God loved him. And so men, you students, David let God lead. And the question we've got to ask ourselves, the question I've got to ask myself as a man is, do I? Do we? Do we let God lead? Let me go on. Second. David also learned again from experience that God always guides. This is verse 3. God always guides. Restores us a part of this. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah tells us a familiar passage that we all like sheep have gone what? Okay, now notice the connection there between sheep and astray. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Sheep are prone to wander. Sheep wander. Sin, temptation, poor judgment. Sheep are not the smartest of animals. Wild animals all lurking in the shadows. And you know what they're attempting to do? They're attempting to turn a sheep into lamb chops. Just waiting. And that's certainly true with our enemy, the devil. But what David says is that God is caring. God is consistent. He is a consistent shepherd who in his infinite love and mercy guides and he directs and he gets us going in the right direction and keeps us going in the right direction. Now, let me just say a word about God's guidance. Let me say a word about discerning God's will. You know, how do I make this decision? You know, what does God have for me? Well, what I want you to understand without going into this too deeply is God's guidance here. The word is God, guide. God's guidance in the Bible is much more about who we are than where we go. Much more about your character, say, than the car you buy. 
Now, the car you buy, the college you choose, the, the career uh, you undertake it is important, hardly insignificant. But the emphasis in the Bible is on discipleship, not decisions. That's because if your heart is right, godly decisions usually, not always, but usually follow. And this is one of the points of Psalm 23, because Psalm 23 is all about our heart. All about what is going on in the inside of us. And what's amazing is this highly potent, capable man has all sorts of good stuff going on inside of him because of his deep confidence in the shepherd love of God. So when it comes to God's will, the question we've got to ask ourselves to begin with, it's not the only question, but for starters, we have to ask ourselves, am I focused on becoming the person God wants me to be? Am I resting in him? Because when we come to verse 3, what we have is a promise. God will get us to where he wants us to go. And our problem is we get this flip, man. We want the answers. God wants our heart. Verse 3 is about the heart. And parents, let me just say to you, man, there is nothing in your parenting that's more important than nurturing your child's heart. There are a lot of things I didn't do right as a dad. But, but one thing I gave myself to was helping my kids develop a heart for God, nurturing that heart. Now, that's not just a pastoring thing. That's a, that's a parenting thing, uh, cultivating this heart. As Paul Tripp said on this platform just a couple of months ago when he was talking about uh, this subject, the most important fact in the universe is God. God is the ultimate fact that gives meaning to every other fact in the universe. And if we get this fact right, we get everything else right. If we get this fact wrong, we get everything else wrong. Therefore, our job as Christian parents is to help open our kids' eyes that they might see God. So we talk about God. We read the Bible as a family. We share verses. Uh, my son's going to be a sophomore in, in, in college. And when he was home, it was just last week, we were talking about what he's reading in Jeremiah. He said, man, Dad, this is hard in Jeremiah. Look at all this. And we had a conversation about it. We see a sunset and, and we say to our kids, you know, that sunset points to the majesty of God. God gives us sunsets so we can see his glory. I talk about the mountains and oceans, but we don't have that kind of stuff around here. <laughs> you see, the point is, if you don't put God at the center of your kids' lives, they're going to put themselves. For decades, we've called that teenage rebellion. David was under enormous pressure. David was under incredible stress. David was as busy as anybody on the planet. But all the demands, all the activities, all the, the decisions were held in check. They did not become idols uh, because of his laser-like focus on the shepherding love of God. And his confidence that if his heart was right, God would guide him. If my heart's right, God's going to guide me. Let's go on, verse 4. David experienced the protection of God. So David says... My God always protects. 
I love verse 4 because verse 4 shows me that the antidote to fear, again, is theology. Specifically, a confidence in the presence of God. The omnipresence of God as we refer to it. David says, I will fear no evil. I, I will fear no evil. Because I know you are with me. I know you are right here. I know you're in front of me, behind me, beneath me, uh, above me. I mean, who in the world talks like that? David does because he's alive in the presence of God. So fearlessness isn't denial. The valley of the shadow of death is real. Freedom from fear is not freedom from valleys. Fearlessness is not a function of smarts. It's not a function of personal uh, strength. I mean, let's be honest, we're usually a couple quarts low. Our elevators don't go all the way to the top. We're sheep. We have small brains. We're not that smart. We're defenseless. Fearlessness is not a function of my smarts. It's not a function of my strength. It's a function of this conviction in the presence of God and the power of God. David says, your rod, your staff, the rod was a club. It was about this long. It was thick. It it was used in, in conflict. In battle, a staff was a longer stick, sometimes with a a, a loop at the end uh, to control sheep. Taken together, they're metaphors that point to the fact that God is fully equipped. That he can handle anything you give him. He can handle any situation. These are metaphors saying God is equal to everything in your life. Rest in him. You and I want the grace of victory, but sometimes in the sovereign wisdom of God, he gives us the grace of valleys. That we might understand that he's the shepherd. And that we might get off this trip of thinking somehow we are. You see, our problem isn't that we are weak. We are weak. Our our problem is our delusion of strength. Our delusion of uh, independence. Freedom from fear, freedom from anxiety is a function of faith in the presence of God, the nearness of God, the compassion of our divine shepherd. Now, in verses 5 and 6, I'll conclude with this. David changes, I believe, the metaphor. He leaves the shepherd metaphor. He leaves this metaphor of a caring shepherd and and switches to the metaphor of a gracious host preparing a banquet. And, And the point of the metaphor is not only does God provide, not only does God guide, not only does God protect, but God always abundantly blesses. And his blessings are forever. Now, most of us think our stuff brings contentment. David realizes that it's God that brings contentment. I mean, look at the first word in verse 6. It's surely. 
Beyond a shadow of a doubt. Beyond a shadow of doubt, I am absolutely convinced that God's mercy and goodness in my life will never, ever end. There will never be a nanosecond when God forgets about me. There will never be a moment when God overlooks me. There will never be a time when God moves on to somebody more interesting or somebody who doesn't mess it up as much as I do. And I wonder if it's because of Psalm 23 that when we come to the New Testament, Jesus talks about himself as the good shepherd. Let me conclude with another passage from John chapter 10. Jesus is speaking, and Jesus says, My sheep listen. They listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now keep this up here for a moment. And the question I want to ask you is, are you listening? Are you listening to Jesus? Are you listening to his voice? Or somebody else's voice? Are you in the word? Do you take God's word seriously? Maybe you're here this morning and you know that you've never listened to Jesus' voice and maybe God is speaking to you. And I want to invite you to begin to listen to Jesus' voice by coming to him. God gave us his son, Jesus Christ, that he might go to the cross and die on the cross in our place for our sins. So that if we turn from our sin and believe in Jesus and embrace by faith Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we will be forgiven and made righteous in God's sight. If you've never done so, if you've never listened to Jesus' voice, man, come to Jesus right now. Maybe you've known Jesus for a long time. And maybe like a sheep, you've wandered. Maybe you've been listening to other voices, and I want to invite you to return and to listen to Jesus' voice and confess that and come back that you might say with David, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not, man, I shall not be in one. Let's pray. Now, Father, as we come to you, we thank you. And as we prepare to respond to you by by giving to you, we thank you for this moment of, of worship, that we can worship you by giving to you, knowing our gifts. Uh, fuel the cause of Christ here and around the world. And we thank you for this moment. And we thank you, God, as, as we sing, as we worship, that we can honor you. Would you continue to speak to us in this moment for Jesus' sake?
Amen. Shepherd of my